everybody. You're listening to an episode of the Heart Podcast with me, Dr. James Rudd, an associate editor of Heart. And with me today is Dr. Alexander Lyon, who is a senior lecturer in cardiology at Imperial College London and also a consultant cardiologist at the Royal Brompton Hospital. Thank you very much for joining us today, Alex. Alex, I'd like to get your take on a paper that is recently been published in Heart by uh, Parvo and colleagues, and I know you wrote an editorial on this, and this uh, meshes nicely with your one of your clinical interests, which is in chemotherapy and cardiomyopathy and the interaction between cancer and heart disease. Perhaps for the listeners, you could just tell us what type of heart problems uh, are caused by both cancer itself and perhaps uh, more familiarly cancer therapies. I mean, how big an issue is this? Yes, well, we've known for many years that some of the traditional chemotherapies, such as anthracycline chemotherapy, doxorubicin, epirubicin, have been cardiotoxic. But what is now becoming apparent is, in addition to those more traditional types of treatment, many more of the modern molecular designer cancer treatments also are imparting cardiotoxicity. The reason this has become an issue is because of the success of modern cancer treatment. So over the last three decades, there's been a complete revolution in survival, known as the survivorship agenda. So whereas 30 years ago, 50% of people diagnosed with cancer would be dead at a year, now we have 50% living for 10 years or more, either cured of cancer or living with cancer as a chronic disease, which is kept at bay by these designer blockbuster cancer drugs. Okay, so this is a relatively big issue now, but potentially even bigger in the future. Yes, well, I think, for example, we've got somewhere between 13 and 15 FDA and EMEA licensed designer cancer drugs in the molecular targeted therapy class, which each are showing dramatic benefits on cancer, but many of them causing cardiovascular toxicity. And there's another 150 coming down the oncology pharmaceutical pipeline. So it's clear at least that certain classes of these drugs where they're targeting growth and survival pathways that drive the malignancy process, many of these pathways are performing important either housekeeping roles in the healthy heart or particularly in diseased hearts. These pathways are activated as a form of protection to stabilize the diseased heart's function and then they're being targeted and inhibited with these new agents. And what kind of heart problems are caused by uh, cancer therapies? Yes, so there's a range. The most common is heart failure or myocardial dysfunction, and that has been known with the chemotherapies like doxorubicin, which is still a very Mm. effective treatment for some types of cancer. And also a lot of these new drugs are causing myocardial dysfunction. But it's not only heart failure. For example, radiotherapy involving the heart is known to cause radiation-induced coronary disease, which is an unusual type of coronary disease, valvular disease and pericardial disease. There are many patients now on hormonal therapies for malignancies such as breast cancer expressing estrogen receptors or prostate cancer. And these estrogen and androgen 
inhibitors seem to disturb cholesterol profiles and lipid metabolism and glucose metabolism leading to a potential acceleration of vascular events. And then finally the tyrosine kinase inhibitor class often are targeting the VEGF pathways amongst others and they seem to cause a very refractory and malignant form of hypertension. So okay. it's specific to the cancer drug, and then you put it in the context of the patient. But there's a wealth of potential toxicities. Not mm. everybody has them, so it's very much uh, defined by a number of factors. The patient's baseline cardiovascular risk, and we're yeah. seeing, of course, the survivorship of modern cardiology. So many mm. people surviving myocardial infarction or having bypass surgery or angioplasty living longer to get cancer. So I they're see. sort of importing a higher baseline risk in the more elderly population. And then what are the drugs and what is the specific problem they may cause? Okay. And what's been described in the paper that you wrote the editorial on by Pavo and colleagues? What, are the, what would you say is the, the essence of the paper and what knowledge gap does it try to fill? Well, this was a very interesting paper in that they took a slightly different approach from the topic we've been discussing so far, which is where in previously people have been studying the role of cardiovascular biomarkers to look at the cardiotoxicity from drugs. Mm. Whereas in this study, for the first time, they've taken a very large prospective cohort of patients with new diagnosis of cancer, so first presentation to the oncology services, and have measured cardiovascular biomarkers at that baseline point prior to any cancer treatment. So these patients are, from a cardiotoxicity perspective, a drug naive. I see. So this is actually a slightly different problem, isn't it, to the one yes. we were just discussing? Okay. And what they found is that a number of the cardiovascular biomarkers that we're very familiar with in modern cardiology, such as BNP and natriuretic peptides and high-sensitivity troponin, that they were elevated in a subgroup of these patients presenting with a new cancer diagnosis and elevation of these cardiovascular markers at baseline predicted all-cause mortality at a follow-up of five years. So very intriguing and provocative that cardiovascular biomarkers in cancer patients who are treatment naive have a prognostic predictive power based on this single center study, of course. So it's a very interesting study. It raises lots of questions about why and the role and how they could be employed, therefore, in modern oncology and cardiology pathways. But I think it is a sort of first insight into this and will need to be verified with a more organized multi-center study and also with some more detail in how they clarify inclusion and exclusion because they try to exclude individuals who had pre-existing cardiovascular risk and that was based predominantly on diagnosis and subjective questions to the patients rather than more objective methodical assessment. But these are things that can be improved upon with future studies. Was mortality predicted by the level of biomarkers regardless of subsequent uh, chemotherapy or cancer therapy? Or was this study too small to tell us anything about that? So they did do some pre-specified analysis based on subgroup. But unfortunately, the big thing that they didn't state was what was the mortality driven by? Was it a cancer mortality? 
and that these cardiovascular biomarkers are predicting a more malignant or advanced cancer disease, and that is very possible? Or was it that they predicted cardiovascular mortality, and that could be because you have an elderly population who are unwell anyway, or it could also be reflecting a sensitivity to cardiotoxic treatments. So that was not defined or answered by this paper, but it's intriguing that all cause mortality is, and what we now need to do is start to dissect which components. Because to the cardiology audience, we probably are not aware of the fact that some of these familiar biomarkers that we understand being cardiovascular do have potential biological roles in the malignancy process. For example, natriuretic peptides seem to be generated by some cancers. And there are also a number of the angioneogenesis factors such as adrenomedullin and others that were predictive in this study, which are also involved in angioneogenesis in tumours. So cardiac troponin, one would think, is rather specific to the heart, but a number of these other biomarkers do have biologically active roles in malignancy, so we shouldn't just assume that it's a cardiovascular mortality that they're predicting. And the other interesting and growing area of research is whether having a malignancy in the body has an impact on your cardiovascular health irrespective of treatment or potentially of baseline cardiovascular disease. And there's some examples from preclinical studies where, for example, cardiac atrophy is evident in malignancy models. So we're familiar that skeletal muscle cachexia is very common in cancer. So can you also have a similar process happening in the heart leading to cardiac cachexia? And if that does occur in people, is that associated with poorer survival? And you could imagine that if you had a very biologically active cancer with lots of tumor necrosis factor and other toxic cytokines being released, driving the cachexia process, that the myocardium may be sensitive and then release troponin, natriuretic peptides, and that those are sensors of the fact that the heart is under strain from the malignancy via the inflammatory milieu. Fantastic. I mean, there really is uh, I can sense from the uh, the tone of your voice and what you've said so far, this is a fascinating and growing area for research. Just to finish off, Alex, uh, perhaps you can talk very briefly about the emerging specialty of cardio-oncology. Yes, well, this has been growing in the UK over the last five years, where we've initially set up a specialist cardio-oncology service at the Royal Brompton Hospital and then from that we've developed a national network initially of coordinating cardiologists with their oncologists in their local centres because it's clear that it's a partnership between cardiology and oncology. As for cardiologists we have to understand the drugs, the outcomes and the, the potential benefits. And from this we've now set up the British Cardio-Oncology Society which is formally associated to the British Cardiac Society and I think this reflects a new subspecialty in modern cardiology which does 
cut across a number of our traditional subspecialties as there's elements of heart failure, vascular complications and electrophysiological complications, plus the role of imaging. So I think going forwards, particularly for trainees, as well as for established consultants looking after patients with cardiac problems in cancer patients, having them all in a single centre and a single clinic allows obviously best quality care. I want to thank you very much indeed, Dr. Lyon, for your help in explaining this editorial and the paper to the heart audience and hope to catch you again sometime soon. Music